to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, whoosh, big one, big one. Craig Ferguson is here from TV, talk shows, game shows, writers, stand-up comedian, three or more unbelievable bands. Uh, more on all that in a second, though. First, if you enjoy this podcast and would like to find a way to support it, you can go over to iTunes, if you use iTunes, and subscribe to it. And if you do enjoy it, why not write a review and rate it while you're there? Also, you if you don't use iTunes, you can find out some of the past episodes that we've done over at audioboom.com slash turned out a punk, or I think, you know, just search turned out a punk while you're there, and they'll all come up there, including some of the other podcasts that are involved in the turned out a punk family. First of all, there's Turned Out of Punk Footnotes, which is hosted by myself and my good friend and your good friend too, Chris O'Toole. And each week, he and I dissect an episode of Turned Out of Punk and really get nerdy. If you think this show is nerdy as is, wait till you check out that one. Oh my gosh. And also, you will find on the Turned Out of Punk feed that we have a show called Clobbering Time, which is hosted by Tom Bryan and myself. Tom Bryan is the editor, uh, an editor over at Stereogum. I think he's the editor at Stereogum. I should really check this out. A, a or the? Uh, Dom, I apologize, buddy. But he, anyway, he's an amazing guy, loves pro wrestling, and I love pro wrestling. And each week, he and I get together, uh, most of the time with another guest, all, all the time probably with another guest, and we discuss pro wrestling. We've had uh, Scott Kelly from Neurosis on that show so far. Uh, Nikki from the band Nothing's been on that show. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of friends have been on that show so far. And more to come. Drug Cosway, more to come. It's going to be a fantastic show. Uh, and also, if you want to support this show, just tell a friend. Tell a friend if you enjoy it. Let other people know. Let other people in on the fun. And uh, yeah, that's a great way to support this show. Uh, you can also go over to DamienAbraham.com and you will find an email address there. It's called TurnedOutAPunk at gmail.com. You can drop us a line via that, via email, and we will get back to you. Um, get a lot of emails sometimes. So we, t- we tackle those a lot on footnotes too. So if you have a question that you want to see tackled on air, you can send that in. We'll tackle it on footnotes uh, on the other podcast. Uh, you can also, if you want to find me and ask me a question directly or in the immediate, you can find me on various forms of social media like Twitter and you know uh, Instagram and whatnot, at Damien. You can also go over to Facebook.com, and there's a Turn Out of Punk Facebook page that's run by my brother, Tristan Abraham, and he uh, will get the message to me if you send a message over there. You can like it. You can also check out some of the stuff we post on there. We get sent in a bunch of stuff via those email addresses, and uh, we post all that stuff up on the Turned Out of Punk Facebook page, and also over on turnedoutofpunk.tumblr.com. In case, like me, you are someone that does not use Facebook, there's a place for you to check out what gets sent into the show, or a lot of the stuff that gets sent into the show. Whew. Anyway, on to today's show. Today on the show, my gosh, is it a fantastic one. It is Craig Ferguson. As I said off the top, you know, talk show host, game show host, uh, sitcom actor, um, but also, you know, stand-up comedian, but also... <laughs> An amazing drummer, an unbelievable drummer who's played in not one, not two, not even really three, probably more like four or more even that I don't even know about yet that I'm still finding out about constantly. 
incredible bands. He played in uh, this band Exposure. He played in the Dream Boys with Peter Capaldi, you know, Doctor Who. He played in uh, Anna Housen. He he goes into all this stuff on the show. It is a great show. A lot of really fun stories. This whole thing, though, would not have been possible without the unbelievable effort of a good friend, Tomas Zakopel. Tomas, I hope I got your last name right. That's the first time I've ever had to say your last name. A friend of mine that I've known for uh, years at this point and uh, someone that works with Craig and, and just brought this up to Craig when I suggested that we do it. And lo and behold, Craig was into it and it was fantastic. Uh, also, I got to have one little note. I don't think there's any corrections I have to get to off the top, but one other little note. Uh, the dog uh, that you keep hearing mentioned in the show is a giant dog that was being brought home by Craig's family while we were waiting there. Um, but this is a great episode. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do because whew, I had a fun time doing it. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Craig Ferguson on Turned Out a Punk. Craig Ferguson, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to talk to you today. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to appear in the media one last time. <laughs> well, if you make Turned Out a Punk your last interview, you've made a mistake. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Who knows, you know? Well, who knows? That's the truth. But no, I, I, as I was telling you off air, you know, there, there, you've been in a few bands and all of them are incredible. They were good. I yeah. know that's kind of the... The myth that I spun when I was, you know, doing the late night show and and, and actually since has that these bands were shit, but they weren't shit. They no. were good bands. They were they were. I was in shit bands too, but shit bands at that time never recorded anything. Mm -hmm. Now shit bands, everybody records everything because <laughs> okay. it's so easy. But then it cost money to record. You know, it was a big deal. You had to go to a fucking studio and deal with engineer all the stuff that you know growing up bands do you had to do that yeah absolutely so there and the very it was i guess at the very beginning of affordable studio time mm -hmm. punk so the the band the stuff that remains is the good stuff you know there was other stuff that that wasn't so good well let me correct you the great stuff the but great stuff before we get into that i yeah. want to start off the way i start these all off which right. is how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever kind of came across the music genre? Yeah, I do. I remember it uh, very vividly. I was coming home from high school. I was uh, about 14 years old. It was a very, it was a dangerous uh, route home. It was a violent, I grew up in a kind of violent town and, and it was a, and it was violent for a young man or, mm. you know, teenagers. And I was on my way home with uh, my friend Craig Keeney and my other friend Stuart Laurie. And Craig Keeney said, Hey, I got this record. Uh, we we listened to records, you know. We had I had heard, you know, I had my first album that I'd bought the year before was uh, uh, "Here Come the Warm Jets" by mm -hmm. Brian Eno, and and I had bought uh, a T Rex single called "Solid Gold Easy Action," uh, which was it was a great song uh, that Mark Bolin wrote in the early seventies. So I, I had kind of got into music, which which was a little bit we we kind of bonded over music. It was kind of like the the more interesting areas of glam rock, David Bowie and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So we were interested in music, these fourteen year old kids. But did you know about Doctor Feelgood and all that stuff? Well, less so. It was more about Bowie and yeah. uh, and and uh, Cockney Rebel and Slade, I guess. Slade. Yeah, Slade were a real kind of like pub thumping <laughs> band and. So there was all of these bands. They had high energy bands, the sweet and stuff oh, like that. Yeah. But they were very kind of 
they were parody type bands almost. They were good, they were accomplished, but they were very kind of, they weren't really part of a punk, there was nothing to do with punk. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Craig Keeney said, I got this record that his cousin or somebody sent up from London and it was a double A side of the damn, the neat, neat, neat and new rose. And uh, that's the first punk record, right? That, yeah. To my mind, yeah. And um, it certainly is my first punk record. Mm -hmm. And we went to Craig's house, and, and his father is kind of a dark story, actually. His father had MS and was, uh, was downstairs and was kind of, he was pretty bad, and he was coming in and out of consciousness. And we were upstairs, and his mom was out, and he cranked this record up. And there's a, at the start of Neat, 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 I, I remember hearing it at the beginning, it starts with a bass line, the doom, do, 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 but if you listen to it, you can hear, it sounds like a teacup on top of a, <laughs> an amplifier or something in the studio when you listen to it, you can hear it kind of starting to shake, yeah. and the room started to shake, and then when the, when the song started after the bass line, it goes, yeah, and it just screams like that, and, and it, <laughs> it felt like, to me, it felt like a fight. It was the first time I'd ever encountered music that felt the same as fighting and music at the same time. Mm -hmm. It was adrenal. And everything that I have done in my life artistically since then has come from that song, mm -hmm. that uh, hearing Neat, Neat, Neat for the first time. Because it was, you know, the Japanese word is uh, satori, a kick in the eye, a sudden and profound realization uh, that whatever this was, I wanted to be part of it. So that was my introduction to punk. I was a little young to to actually participate in the, you know, in the kind of London scene. Although we, you know, we kind of ran down there. But um, so, would you go down for shows or something? Yeah, we went. Down, I went to the Hundred Club and saw, you know, original bands there. You know, Steve Jones, who's become a friend of mine much later, denies that I was there. He's you know, <laughs> oh yeah, not a fucking one who was in the Hundred Club. But we did. We used to. We took the bus from Glasgow and we stopped at Preston, and then from Preston down to uh, London. Uh, it took fucking forever. It was longer than a transatlantic flight, and. Um, it uh, it was horrible. I remember actually one night getting on the bus with Peter Capaldi, who's now plays the Doctor and Doctor Who. Peter and I were in the band together. We were going to London, and the guy sitting next to him in the bus died. Uh, it was like an old guy. He just died. Oh my God. He just died on the bus. And we we didn't. I was sitting behind Peter, and he said, "I think this guy's just died." And I said, "How do you know?" He said, "Well, he just kind of made that a noise, which sounds like I'm dying." So I didn't know what to do with people said, is there anyone on the bus with medical experience? And apparently there was. And somebody came over and went, oh, this guy's died. Anyway, they took the guy off. That's not, I don't know why I got into that story, but the, the upshot is that, um, yes, we went to London and yes, we saw, I saw the Banshees down there. Yeah. And I saw the Damned and I saw the Stranglers and I saw, but I was young. I was like 14, 15, 16. And I would go and see them. A lot of the bands came and played in Glasgow. Mm -hmm. The Clash I saw in Glasgow, and um, but it was it was a weird time because at the same time you were going to see the Clash, you were probably going to see Bebop Deluxe or Queen, mm -hmm. you know. So it was this weird hybrid time, and and eventually as punk kind of took hold, very quickly you had to choose a side. You weren't allowed to like you know Led Zeppelin and punk rock mm -hmm. and you weren't you were absolutely not allowed to smoke marijuana marijuana was a hippie drug 
you had to sniff glue or get <laughs> drunk, but you were not allowed to smoke marijuana. Marijuana, you could take speed. Yeah. But um, but none of the uh, dirty none hippies. of the bass notes, none of the dirty hippie shit. <laughs> no. So I guess like, what was your first? Well, actually, when you heard the dancing, was that before the Sex Pistols on Bill Grundy, or is that kind of? Well, Grundy was that was a local television show, so yeah. I was uh, uh, in Scotland. It didn't air, yeah. you know, so we didn't see it. I'd heard about it. We I was cognizant. I used to read the. There were three music papers at the time: the, the New Musical Express, NME, Sounds, which was another one, and there was another one. I can't remember what it was called, Disc or something. Um, so we would, <clears throat> we were aware of the movement that was happening in London, and I, uh, we, we kind of, you know, we had heard about. There was a show on TV called The Old Grey Whistle Test, and, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, Bob Harris, who did that show. <clears throat> remember, there were only three channels to watch, and we we would uh, see bands like, um, Iggy was on that, and, um, and uh, you know, um, the Talking Heads were on, and. Um, at the Ramones, but it was British punk was for me the the it, it felt like there was a dividing line. I mean, now when I look at it, there are so many influences that you know Iggy and television and all that stuff was all happening. Yeah. It's not such a clear punk didn't really just fucking start. It it kind of like you know if you hear. You know, you, you listen back to some of, you know, what was going on in Sun Studios in the late 50s, you go, well, where, at what point does it start and what does it become a thing? But for me, the the, the punk movement started with Neat, Neat, Neat. It yeah. started with that single that day. But but now when I look at it, the perspective is slightly different. Oh, yeah, I guess because in England, it was a revelatory thing. Like, this was a... Comp- well, it was a cultural thing, yeah. too. It was very much, you know, there were, it was a time, there was a lot of civil unrest. There was, you know garbage strikes and uh, you know uh, there were power cuts the miners were on strike there was like a three-day work week the economy was tanking i think unemployment was like 15 percent the schools were shit that it seemed to rain all the fucking time everything was in black and white it was fucked up you know it was a fucked up time and and it's funny because i go back to scotland now and it doesn't look like that at all it's beautiful Mm -hmm. but I don't know though. I don't know what the fuck was going on in the nineteen seventies, but I think punk was the, the the antidote for it. When you look at Britain now, they had like the most beloved children's television presenter in Britain turned about to be the worst serial pedophile in history and stuff, and they didn't discover it until after he died. And they've got all these this dark shit that was going on in yeah. Britain, and punk paradoxically now I believe was probably the most wholesome form of entertainment <laughs> that is certainly the most honest that came out of Britain in the 1970s. Absolutely. Well, you talked about Glasgow earlier and, and being kind of a tough town. Well, you were just as I left. Yeah, Cumbernauld, which but, is kind of a, it's not even as good as Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still like a tough town. Like, was it, what yeah. was it like being a punk there? Did you have like reactions from locals? Or- yeah, it was, a, it was a kind of an odd thing. And also from your parents. So what we, we used to call it getting punked up when I was like in my mid-teens. So what you do is you, you would take whatever punk clothes you were wearing, whatever t-shirt you'd made or clothes, you know, pants or, you know, whatever you were going to wear. And you, if you were going out to a school dance or a disco, they, we called them discos. They weren't disco, but yeah. we called them discos and they were like, all the kids would go to them, these kind of like, you run in youth clubs, you would take your clothes in a bag and I would 
change. It was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I would go to a bridge near where I live next to the freeway and I'd change it onto the bridge. <laughs> you know, it's like, excuse me to the hobos. And you, you leave your, your good clothes under the bridge and go off in your punky clothes. And you would get into fights. You know, there would be guys who would resist it. Um, you know, so you'd get into fights with other guys. And that was part of the attraction mm -hmm. of it, obviously. Sometimes, obviously, mm -hmm. getting beat up wasn't that much fun. But the, but the violence and the... It was... I'm not... I didn't... I'm not, enjoying it isn't exactly the right thing. But um, but it was what we did. It was just... It felt natural. Yeah. It was a part of it, I guess, that. I, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, but the music was the first thing. See, my brother's only three years older than me, but my brother loved, you know, like the uh, the bands that were parodied so well in Spinal Tap. You know, the kind of like, <laughs> yeah. the madrigal and the king will rise and all that stuff. And he was Hobbit in... Rock. Right. And, and, and I, I... This felt like it belonged to us, you yeah. know. And it, and it was such a, a different thing. And then and, and, and so it... That was fantastic, you know, that was so exhilarating. What was the first show you actually went to, like after hearing that damn record? Was it a local band even, or...? Well, uh, we I was in punk band. The thing about punk right then is that everybody got in a band right away. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, right away, the, the, the idea was you formed a band, I formed a band with these two other guys. The Bastards from Hell? The Bastards, well, no, that was even before, the Night Creatures was the high school band. Night Creatures. Night Creatures we were called, yeah. Whoa, what was Night Creatures vibe? Like, what did this they thing? were a terrible band, they were terrible. We played God Save the Queen, but we also played, uh, because the guitarist uh, had the place where we practiced, we had to do a Wishbone Ash song. Oh my God. <laughs> I think we played Blowing Free or something. <laughs> um, so it was a kind of odd fucking hybrid. Uh, like you said, it was a hybrid time, right? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was it was an odd time there because you it was it's such an odd thing to see, but you had to take a side in music. It's such yeah. a strange thing to see a musician to pick a side. No, I think it's continued. absurd. It you continued know? for a long time. Yeah, I think it did. I think it. Uh, but it, it now I think mus musicians, real musicians, are healthier than yeah. that. You know that uh, they're kind of like they're interested in in moving across genres and mm -hmm. trying different things, mm -hmm. but um, but that's musicians as opposed to punk wasn't then wasn't just about it, and it never really has been it was just about music it was about fashion, and it was about rebellion it was about dissatisfaction it had a polemic to it which has never really gone away uh, it had a certain kind of uh, well anarchy you know it but anarchy as a as a political um, belief system, yeah. almost in the 19th century sense, yeah. you know. Um, so it 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 wasn't just the music; it was a, it was a whole kind of fuck you thing to the to the generation that had come ahead of us that had fucked it up so badly that there was nowhere to work and there was shit in the street. Mm -hmm. You know, literally, the fucking garbage was in the streets. So and and then you were meant to think everyone was okay because the madrigal and the king, you know. So it it, it had a, a fabulous kind of fuck you about it, which I still find thrilling. When when I had the the pistols on, the late night show years and years and obviously two thousand seven, I think. Right, it was a long awesome episode. It was fun. I remember that same sense of excitement, you know, when. Uh, Leiden was, you know, just being who he is. <laughs> I just thought, oh, God, 
Fucking bless you. That's fantastic. So, did Night Creatures play with any other bands? Were there other kids forming bands around that same yeah, time? Yeah, there, there were bands forming all the time. I mean, I can't really, I only remember Night Creatures because it was the first one, but they were, like, you'd be in a band for a month and then another yeah. band for a month. And I had a drum kit, so I was like, a, I was like a fucking rock star. I could, you know, I could name my, you know, where I was going. And well, you were like the utility person, right? Like Post punk for years too, right? Uh, well, I kind of, I could play a bit, you know, yeah. and and I, 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 I liked it, and I was also, I was. Uh, charismatic and uh, and really drunk most of the time, which of course was what you wanted in your band, mm -hmm. um, especially in that you know you know I was reasonably popular with the ladies and I was drunk all the time. So you're like a Scottish Keith Moon of punk. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it's funny that Moon was always held up as the great drummer, you know Keith Moon. Yeah, and I never liked really drumming. No, I. Well, I guess you're so much, you're a very technical drummer, like the well, way you play like is very to, precise. Well, I like to keep the beat, yeah. you know, and uh, and he, Moon would like, look, it, I don't want to say Keith Moon was shit or anything, <laughs> but it's just, it goes, it's too much, it's all yeah. fills, and, and some of it's genius, on the early Who stuff, it sounds fantastic, but... So who were your influences as a drummer when you first started? Well, you know, it was funny, I, I actually think that... Uh, I loved, it was my great guilty secret, I loved uh, Roger Taylor from Queen, who's a yeah. fucking amazing drummer. It's amazing when you think about that band, it's like you have arguably the best players in yeah. every position in that band. Yeah, yeah, but still a shit band. And <laughs> <laughs> but not a shit band, just no, it's not for me, you know? Yeah, but, yeah. But None of it? No, the early stuff oh, yeah. was great. I actually okay. saw them on the Seven Seas Rye tour. So it, was it Seven Seas Rye? It would be Killer Queen or something. The, the first or second tour they yeah. did in the UK. It was they were great. So what was your first concert even prior to punk? First concert I ever went to was Hawkwind. Oh, how did you bury the lead with yeah, that, Craig? Yeah, yeah. That is proto punk. I know, it's fucking crazy. Hawkwind in Glasgow, Apollo. I think I was about thirteen years old. <laughs> And I don't know if Lemmy was with them then. I I I know that the Silver Machine had been a big hit yeah. in Britain, and uh, and uh, there was a lot of people, you know, the edge of space, a lot of <laughs> fucking nonsense. But um, but uh, yeah, that was my first concert. Hall Did you like Twink as a drummer? Or was no, I, you know, I, I'm not, I wasn't aware of Twink. Yeah. I was aware of, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, uh, in the Buzzcocks, who was fantastic. Oh, yeah, what is his name? And Rat Scabies, yeah. who yeah. Is, was and is an amazing drummer. And Cookie, Cookie. you know, Cookie's fucking is spectacular. But there were other guys who, uh, there was a guy called uh, Kenny Hislop, mm -hmm. uh, who was a Glaswegian drummer, and Kenny played with, uh, he played with the S Simple Minds, who went on to become a very kind of big post-punk thing. Oh, absolutely. Thing. But, but um, Kenny was, was a fantastic drummer. They had a and punk band, wasn't it something before they became yeah, Simple they, Minds? Yeah, there were. Johnny and the Self-Abusers. Johnny and the Self-Abusers. Yeah, 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 yeah. I saw Johnny and the Self-Abusers in the, some club in Glasgow about the size of this fucking <laughs> I think it had a Dalek in it as well. Um, <laughs> the Johnny and the Self-Abusers and... And so there were, it was dependent on who was in front of you at the time. I can't really, I mean, I remember at the time there was a, a drummer called Pierre van der Linden, um, who was a Dutch guy who was in a, a, a terrible prog band called Focus. 
okay. uh, who were kind of the rush of Holland. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he did a 23-minute drum solo on <laughs> Focus 4 or Focus 3, I don't know, the quadruple live album. But, uh, but I listened to that a lot because it was very technical. Carl Palmer was another one. I didn't like Emerson, Lake and Palmer, but what he did, Ginger Baker, I didn't like Cream, but I fucking loved Ginger Baker. Yeah. So you, you kind of you had to pick the, the individuals out of the bands they were in a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. um, I still kind of do that a little bit, I think. I, I, I still kind of, when I'm listening to... Like, if I notice the drummer, they're either really good or really bad. It's like fantasy rock and roll with just drums. A little bit, yeah. yeah, yeah, a little bit. I mean, there's also, you know, it, it became, you lose friends pretty fast if all you talk about is drumming all the time. So <laughs> Unless you get a lot of drummer friends, I think. Yeah, you don't want that. <laughs> no <one does> that. <laughs> but you, you know, bringing up Focus and going to see Hawkwind, so, and maybe this is your older brother's influence, but were you like a prog rock kind of kid? Or? No, I, I, I just didn't have anything. Yeah. I didn't, you know, you, just, I, you go wherever you could. Mm -hmm. um, did I like it? No, I wasn't crazy for it. I always, you know, it's funny, I only got into Zeppelin like 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I started, I listened to it and I was like, this is fucking great, actually. I I'm still idea. waiting. You know what? It, it actually, it, some of it is fucking unbelievable. Yeah, some of it's, yeah. it's just, I have no good to me, but... <laughs> Like, stay away to heaven, you can keep that shit. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, there's some stuff like Kashmir and stuff like that. It's fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, and and so I I kind of really didn't have anything. That's why punk was different. Because it felt like you belonged to... You You were part of the band, almost. Mm -hmm. You know, you belonged to something. Mm -hmm. You know, the audience and the band put on the shows at punk shows. It wasn't just the... Wasn't just a band, and you sat down and appreciated their skill, and you know, sent your girlfriend forth to blow them. It was more, um, you know, everybody was in it together type vibe. Well, it's like you said earlier, like you had a band before you went to even your first punk show. Like, yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. It was. Right away. It was. It was. Everybody was in a fucking band. Yeah, everybody. So, what was the first quote unquote punk show you went to? Do you think? I would classify Hawkwind, but clearly I don't yeah, think Yeah, well, Hawkwind, I mean, it didn't feel like that. You know, yeah. Hawkwind, the energy at Hawkwind show then, uh, as I recall, I remember being a little bored until they did <laughs> Silver Machine, or because it was, you know, there was a lot of long, of hang, ding, yeah. ding, 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 ding. Um, and the smell of, you know, bad hashish in the air, which is what everybody smoked. But the... Um, I guess the first punk show that I went to, probably the Stranglers, mm -hmm. maybe Stranglers or the or the Buzzcocks in Glasgow Apollo. So there were already Glasgow bands happening by that point, right? Like who, oh yeah, yeah. Johnny and the Self Abusers was one of them. Were they maybe. were like the were them or the Exile first? Like who would be the first? But I think Exile? Johnny and the Self Abusers. Okay. I think, but there were bands there that were crossover bands. It was a band the Cuban Heels that were kind of yeah. like kind of around that neighborhood, and there were. You know, the postcard thing was about to happen yeah. as well, you know, with uh, Orange Juice and Aztec Camera. And, uh, the Skids were a big band uh, in Scotland then. Fun Four? The Fun Four. They, there was, um, God, I can't remember all the names of the fucking bands. You know, I was in uh, the, the Bastards from Hell that became the Dream Boys. That was the band that I was in. And the, Well, yeah, I guess, like, how did that, how did you go from the first band to the Bastards from Hell like what was that well it was actually it was I went to a birthday party in the Rock Garden in Glasgow which is a real kind of, it's kind of like the uh, Glasgow's Whiskey a Go-Go or something you know <laughs> yep. and, 
and I was at this birthday party and the band playing that night were the Bastards from Hell and the the, uh, the singer Peter uh, announced from the stage they were splitting up because they couldn't find a decent drummer at uh, point the drummer behind them <laughs> at the time <laughs> very insensitively and um, and I I was drunk and my girlfriend was drunk and she went up and said he's a better drummer you know pointing at me he's a better drummer than the asshole you've got and and they and they said well come and audition and I did I went and auditioned for that band that was terrible because <laughs> I was sober and it was someone else's kit and I, but I knew I liked the band and I wanted to be in the band so I said to them, Look, let me bring my own kit let me bring my own kit back and and do it again and I had a couple of drinks beforehand and I and then they were like oh no you're the right guy for us and then I was in and at that point you know I was still living in Cumbernauld still living in my parents house you know I was 16 and a half 17 years old I was uh I tripped on acid a few times, but I was still fairly um, vanilla. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by you know two months into the Dream Boys, I had quit my job. I was you know I was living in a flat in Glasgow, and uh, and my alcoholism was really beginning to kick in. <laughs> I guess that's the problem when you're in a band is it's like it's always there and it's never like a. You know, it, it wasn't for some of them. I think the alcoholism is just a separate issue. I think for some people they could take it or leave it, and I couldn't. And and really, that it had very little to do. I don't think it has anything really to do with the music or the or the the times. It's just you're either one or you're not. I think you know. Yeah. It's just unfortunately for people that are. It's, it's very unavoidable. Yeah. <laughs> it's very hard to hide. Yeah. Although it was quite easy, I guess, to get by with it during punk because, or during that time, because everybody was shit faced, mm-hmm. you know, and everybody was crazy, and and so you were just another slightly more crazy one. So did you? Was the Bastards from Hell? Was the sound the same as the Dream Boys? Was it was the same band. It okay. was the, the just the name changed. The, the Dream Boys uh, became um, a slightly. Uh, I suppose they were slightly more art school in a way. They were slightly more kind of um, there was a, there was a kind of Bauhausiness uh, coming coming in, and um, I it was a little more uh, melodic maybe and thoughtful than the initial kind of thrashing around. Well, I find like one thing I love about Scottish punk is that like you know the three big cities all really reflect in my limited tourist experience the vibes of the cities, the sure. sounds that were coming out. Yeah. Like you look at the bands that were coming out of Edinburgh as opposed to Glasgow, it's like a lot more kind of like college sounding. And yeah, I mean, Goodbye Mr. McKenzie was, was Shirley Manson's mm-hmm. band. Mm-hmm. Um, and Shirley's beautiful and amazing talent. And yeah. of course went on to become- Garbage you know, front person. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, and but I remember Shirley from Goodbye, Mr. McKenzie, and she was she st- had that same individuality there. Yeah, you know, I mean, she was very cute. She's cute now, but she was very cute then. <laughs> so, and it all, but is it was it like are the bands getting darker in Glasgow because it is kind of a harder? Place I think or? that I think the bands were it seemed that they were a little darker and a little. But then again, Orange Juice, uh, yeah. Aztec Camera, I even Camera. have a dark edge to it almost. But there's right, a cynicism in Glasgow which yeah. I think is more to do with the city has a very Irish feel, and, mm-hmm. and there's a cynicism and a literacy to Glasgow art of all types, uh, which is slightly. Uh, to my mind, more Celtic but less Scottish than stuff that comes out of Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it 
It, it's a little bit different. Edinburgh and Glasgow are, you know, it's hard. There's that. a rivalry. It's a, it's a hard thing. How does Dundee fit in? Uh, not at all. <laughs> 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 but I was like, once again, all those bands are definitely, you know, it seems like they would not fit in the same sort of thing. Yeah, they, they don't. Or Dundee is, um, I don't know anything about Dundee. I can, I can tell you more about Compton in the 1990s <laughs> than I can tell you about Dundee. So I guess what was the transition you went from like Bastard from Hell, Dream Boys? You played on the single, right? Or no? Or you no, I didn't play yeah. on the single. That I joined just after that. Okay. So I didn't play on that single. I I, I like to think if, if I played on the single, it would have been a better single. Yeah. Drumming um, sucks on it. It's bad. It's bad. <laughs> it's unimaginative. So had you been playing in Exposure? That's after it, or oh, in no, that was that? before it. Exposure was before even that. That's right. That was a Cumbernauld band. So what's the deal with yeah, Because Exposure is fantastic. Oh, thanks. That's, <laughs> that's the funniest thing because I'd forgotten about that band, but of course that single is out there. That was a single as we made a thousand copies of the of the of the vinyl, and it was paid for the the guitarist and the guy who wrote the uh, both songs on it. He, uh, his father was an optician, you know, an optometrist. So he had some money. So he paid for this, this to happen. You know, we made a thousand copies of it. I remember because I dressed as a priest for the day of recording. I remember why. <laughs> um, well, you also went under a pseudonym, right? You're Adam yeah, Eternal. Adam Eternal, which was a misspelling of a comic book character yeah. called Adam Eternal. <laughs> Which and they fucking spelled it wrong in the cover. I was like, oh fucking fine. It's like calling you, it's like some you say, call me Superman, and they called you Superman. And you go, all right, you are forever Superman. I think that would be if I was cop copy editing that seven inch cover. I'm afraid I would make the same mistake. Yeah, that is what it is. So were were like these bands playing together? Was Exposure playing with Bastards from Hell, or were you playing shows with like? No, there was a great. I mean, it was all bitchy and stuff as well. It was all like young people, ambitious young people being yep. assholes and bitchy yep. to each other. So it was a great deal of rivalry and moving from one band to another band. You changed all your friends and you had to change your girlfriend. And you had to change where you went to drink and it. it but the big change for me was, you know, exposure was. You're right. It was the first thing I did. I don't know why I forgot all about it, but. I didn't, I didn't uh, really move, when I joined the Dream Boys, I moved into Glasgow and, and everything got very different. Yeah. yeah. But with exposure, is that, it's like, is that guitar player, is he a psych guitar player? Yeah, he... He played he, in another band, I think, He right? did, yeah, he, he died, actually, oh, sorry. Uh, last year. He had some awful heart, well, as awful as you can get, heart Absolutely. attack, yeah, and... And died, but he 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 played around a little bit, but he 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 went into the his father's eye doctor business, okay. sadly, which I think was a, a kind of I don't know, man. I mean, you do what you do, but was he older than you guys? Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he played in some I think sixties bands, even late early seventies bands. No, that would be the bass player, Colin. I think. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, he played in a couple of bands. I don't know, maybe he did. <laughs> I don't know, we, we weren't that close. No, I understand. So when you kind of move down to Glasgow and you've got, you're in the Dream Boys in that point, is there a scene there? Like what scene? Yeah, that that's why I got into comedy. Yeah. Because what happened was that, you know, I was asked that new dog, yeah, the new dog's here. Oh God. Cujo. Yeah. <laughs> His name's Jock, apparently. Jock. Yeah. Anyway, oh, the... Uh, North America, Jock does not have positive connotations. Yeah, I know. He's going to lie about what happened to him in Brazil. <laughs> but the... Um, the uh, 
What was I talking about? The, oh, yeah, comedy. Yeah. So I got into comedy from it because at that time, there was a whole scene. There was a whole, like, there would be uh, fucking eight bands on in one night. <laughs> and uh, there, you know, people started, I was kind of funny and drunk and was a face in the scene. And Peter and I used to fuck around and do comedy things on stage and we I was dating a girl who was in a really good band called uh, Sophisticated Boom Boom. Oh, did uh, they record? Uh, yeah, they became, oh. uh, they changed their name to His Latest Flame. Okay. And they became quite popular in Britain and, and I was dating her and so we were all part of this rather, you know, spotty, lot of makeup, a lot of crimped hair, a <laughs> lot of uh, black clothing, look like Tomas now. <laughs> and, um, we uh, we all looked like uh, Czechoslovakian. Uh, oh, you don't say Czechoslovakian now, do you? We all look like yeah, we look Czech rockers. We look like yeah. But um, the uh, you know there was a scene, and, and because of that, doing comedy was there was what they used to call alternative comedy. It was mm-hmm. a very aggressive punk rock form of comedy. Alexi Sale had kind of pioneered it in London at the comedy store in London. It was Lexi Sale, Rick Mail, um, you know, and, and and that kind of happened all at the same time. It was all born at the same time. It's hard to remember that now when I find myself, you know, hosting a fucking game show on, <laughs> on American television. But that's what, that's the natural progression of things. Yeah. It would be it would be odd if I was trying to be, you know, hanging around the club. You know, it's that Chris Rock thing, the oldest guy in the club. I don't want to be the oldest guy no. in the club. But it, it was it was a movement, it was a scene, and it was all part of the same thing. Music, comedy, art, the art school degree shows, fashion shows, they were, it was all the same people, all sleeping with each other, all fighting each other, all in competition with each other. Well, I think that's what I find so amazing about it, is the energy you still, people like yourself, there's so many people that have gone on to do yeah, widely disparate things, but they're they're still, you know, like seeing you on late night when you had when you had sex whistles on. Like there's yeah. those moments where it's like, oh wow, that, that influence is still there. Well it's more sex than the, it's more than the influence. It, it it's it's the DNA yeah. of everything that uh, I I mean it, everything I ever do to this point. I mean I look really sit out of my fucking big house in Hollywood with all my shit but it's it's not it, it's not from uh, doing anything other than surviving uh, by my wits uh, in the same way that I did then well it's funny because like yeah like and I find I'm drawn to people that I later find out like why were you my favorite character on the Drew Carey show like why <laughs> why is Jim Darmouche my favorite director why like why is uh you know, like all these people have all come from punk rock and all came out of It that is an energy for sure. It, it was, it is an and it still is, you know. It's funny, I, I watched, I guess about, about a month ago, for some reason, my five-year-old son wanted to watch uh, the concert movie Stop Making Sense. Mm-hmm. He saw a little bit and he wanted to see all of it. So we sat down and we watched the whole thing. And I remember thinking, I felt much more comfortable with the first half of the movie than the second half. <laughs> but also, the whatever that is, whatever that's from, whatever all of that is, I subscribe to that. Mm-hmm. You know. So when you know when it gets too much, there is a an incorporation uh, of any form of artist. You know, music, 
uh, painters. Everybody's, you know, there's there's always a temptation because people give money for it, and money's, you know, it's quite interesting, <laughs> especially when you have kids and shit. <laughs> yeah. So, so you you take the money, but there always there seems to be at some point there is a, it's a pressure cooker. If you come from that, and at some point, and it, I did it in late night, where you go fuck you. Here's no, I'm not fucking doing it, and I quit. Mm-hmm. Fuck you. And that is from that's from Glasgow in 1980, 1978, whatever it is. That that's what that is. Well, like it, it, it keeps you honest, you know. Like that's the thing about this energy. Is it I think it, I think it, it, it doesn't always keep you honest, but it always returns you to an honesty. Better way. I, I I think that I, I'd be lying if I said that you know all of the work that I've done since here in Nate 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 has been honest and artistically fulfilling, <laughs> but. I feel like, you know, I feel like I've always, I'm always drawn back to an authenticity, which is, uh, I deny it my peril. I think that if I really defined myself as the ratings on late night or the, you know, the amount of money I can get from doing a game show, uh, then I'd fucking kill myself. You know, you you have to you have to go back. You have to return to. It's not your. Well, I guess it is your roots. You know. I mean, it is what makes you feel uh, um, like you're expressing yourself with, with some validity mm-hmm. and some verisimilitude. So, how did it go then? Back to back to something mm-hmm. a lot more. Uh, Rooted in nerdum, uh, how did it go from uh, the Dream Boys to Anna Housen? Was that Anna Housen was a, was actually I was still in the Dream Boys. That was a session job. For oh me. really? Yeah, the Anna Housen was the name of the singer in Anna Housen. Yeah. She was a very attractive, uh, pneumatic girl, and it was on Human Records, Human League's label, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and they they uh, I was the the drummer uh, du jour in Glasgow at the time and. <laughs> And uh, and they 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 I remember it still. They went to this big fancy studio in England called Jacobs uh, Recording Studio. It was a stately home in south of England, and we went down in this van, and <laughs> um, we I was fucked up that whole time we were making that record. But um, but the we got the once the drum track is done, there's not really a lot for me to do other than you know chase the girl singer around all weekend which I did and, uh, but that that's really what it was and uh, and so I wasn't really in that band yeah I just that was me on the record and then did you gig with them at all or was it just no that no uh, we just I just did that show I think after the recording we they felt that perhaps they'd do better without me actually being in the band like I would be good for uh, sessions and studios but not being in the band well you mentioned earlier you kind of started doing comedy at these punk shows mm. At what point did you kind of feel that that was more of a pull or that was becoming more, well, not maybe more exciting, but becoming as exciting? Or I think be- there was a rise in, in alternative comedy very quickly after punk. And it, and it became, and it remains this way in the UK, actually. A lot of the big comics in the UK play really big venues. They're kind of like rock and roll stars. They, they, and, it, and it became sort of like that in the UK. And I... I all also I felt that you know you didn't have to lug your fucking drums around, which <laughs> yeah. was great. You didn't have to tidy up after the gig, 
and you didn't uh, you didn't have to deal with anybody else. You didn't have to deal with the rest of the band, you know. Which yeah. uh, I I know that a lot of bands struggle with, you know. Years and years and years later, I worked with Mick Jagger uh, on a screenplay for a movie we never made, and and for about three four months, I was with the Rolling Stones on tour, and and I saw how these guys function. They've been in a band together for I don't know, hundred and twenty years or mm-hmm. something. They don't fucking talk to each other. They just there's just nothing. I don't. I I feel like that's almost an incorporation that I couldn't. I couldn't do. I, I wasn't capable of it. Yeah. I'm not saying that they're not valid for doing it. They're a great rock and roll, you know, institution. But I I couldn't. I couldn't live like that any more than I could work at you know in Wall Street. So was that what kind of brought about the Dream Boys End? Was it kind of like that? No, the Dream Boys End came very specifically because Peter the singer got offered the, a role in a movie called Local Hero. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and he went off to do that, and the rest of us didn't know what to do, so I ended up in a band called uh, James King and the Lone Wolves. Oh, did you guys, rec- you guys record anything? Yeah, or? yeah, there's a couple of old... I don't think I'm on anything that you can find online, but yeah. they, they were a really good band. What kind of music is it? It was, it was a hard-edged rock and roll. It had an American feel to it, but it was... It was um, they were, I mean, they were bad guys, you know, the, like, they weren't bad guys, they were just the boisterous individuals, yeah. and, and the, you know, the, the guitarist was in jail a lot, and Colin, the bass player, was a, my good friend of mine, and, and Jimmy King, who was uh, known as Jimmy Loser, was a big face in, in, uh, in punk in Glasgow in the late 70s, early 80s, Jimmy was the singer, very, very talented. I got quite excited when James King, the model, became famous in America, and I finally thought Jimmy's getting <laughs> getting the fame that he's. And then I thought I saw James King, and thought it's it's either a great deal of surgery or it's not the same person. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but he was a major fucking talent. What was the influence on that band? Like you said, it's harder rock and edge. Yeah, it was. It had a kind of. It had it, television, you know, yeah, that kind yeah. of feel. You oh, know? I gotta check this out. Yeah, no, awesome. you'd, you'd like it, I think. It, it, it's, they were a live band, though. They were, it was really a live band. I actually, it was the last time I played Dundee was with James King and the Lone Wolves in the Dundee University, where I broke my foot uh, diving off of the stage because there's a fight and, you know, you gotta get involved, obviously. I dove off the stage <laughs> and the fight completely disappeared and I landed. Right on the fucking you know floor of the the gig and had to be shepherded out. Um, but to their credit, the the band you know did rescue me and and take me out and didn't fire me. They quite liked that sort of thing. No, I can well. <coughs> they got members doing jail time. I imagine. Yeah, it was all great. Yeah. The only time I've been at Berlin Jail in Glasgow was to visit fellow members of that band. So I guess obviously that band self destructed at a certain point. Yeah. Um, did you move to America after that, or is it a few years later? Well, what happened was I started doing, there was a kind of a punk thing I did. The, it was born a punk. It was a character yeah. called Bing Hitler, yes. which was a stand-up thing. And the Hitler, use of the Hitler name was shocking. So that, you know, it, it was kind of like, you know, and then it was nothing anti-Semitic or Nazi-ish about the comedy. It was just the use of the name. And it was shocking, and it had that kind of shock value. And that was born right out of punk. And when I started doing that, 
That actually got very popular in Scotland for about two years. There are still people in Scotland who... There's records. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I made yeah. I, I made records like yeah, that. In absolutely. fact, Frankie Miller, you know the singer Frankie Miller? Yeah. Frankie came up to me at a bar in Glasgow once and, <laughs> and got me to sign a copy of Bing Hitler Live at the Tron, which I thought was very funny. Frankie's a big fucking star. He's, he's not very well these days, but he's a big fucking star. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was kind of... Uh, so I, I moved into stand-up comedy and when that happened I never went back to I never went back to bands mm. I never I never went back to, I mean there's a drum kit upstairs that I you know fuck around on but I never went back to it and I don't know that I could you know I I don't know that I could go back to it now I don't think that I don't think I I think like a musician in the composition and the performance of stand-up comedy but I don't think I'm social enough to actually perform with other musicians mm. or talented enough or to be honest I, I i think that you know there's application that's required for musicians and uh i i i don't know about that anymore i think i've become wildly distracted i've, I've gone too far down this fucking <laughs> fucking plug hole of whatever the fuck i do now it's you know? so funny though how many comedians came out of punk drumming yeah like yeah. or any kind of drumming i mean johnny carson for fuck's sake was, a, a, jazz, was a jazz drummer yeah wow i mean it, it is it's a it's an odd yeah. thing i think it, it i mean it kind of makes sense when you think about it because it is uh it is about rhythm and it's about attention and it's about noise and it's uh, there's a, a visceral sexual quality to good stand-up which there also is to good drumming mm -hmm. um and i think that that it, I suppose in a way it, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's funny though because it's like I guess it's maybe being held behind that drum kit that eventually you just got to burst out and yeah. take your place at the front of the stage. I think so. I never wanted to be one of these drummers that stood up. You know what? You know, <laughs> I know exactly. You know what? It's like sit the fuck down, <laughs> yeah. man. You're the drummer. Don't stand up. You know, like these guys that stand up at the end of the song. Don't, I don't like that. Did you ever have a mic on stage, or did you ever? I, you know, yeah, for backing vocals. Yeah, but, but it, you never, you never jump in and. No, 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 no. I, I, I felt there are certain proprieties that even punk rock must observe, yeah. and, and the drummer <laughs> shutting the fuck up is definitely one of them. Well, you could have been. Uh... Uh, Genesis and had the drummer sing, right? Oh, that's just a one. terrible thing. And I, I don't, I don't even, I can't believe you brought up Genesis in such a in such a podcast. Well, we've talked about Focus. That's true. And Rush, Rush the, you know? Focus, the 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 Dutch Rush. Well, I'm Dutch Rush sounds like a kind of dirty Sanchez or something, right? Dutch yeah, Rush Dutch sounds Rush. like a drug that you would get in Holland too. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, you can get drugs in Holland. You know, I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard a rumor can. about that. Still, even to this day, well, I think. Well, great. I could talk to you forever, and I'm not going to keep you too much longer because this has been incredible. But I do kind of want to touch on something. When you did move to America, mm. you you bounced for a while or worked the door at a club. Is that mm, not true? Yeah, Save the Robots. Yeah. And Save the Robots is like a famous punk. Yeah, hardcore hip hop, everyone hang out, right? Like yeah, after yeah. hours. It was it was an after hours place in the East Village. I think we opened till three o'clock. I, I was I was in the doorman very long. I, it's the, I wasn't anything very long. Then. <laughs> yeah. What happened was is an odd thing that um, when I was run about the time of the Dream Boys and James King and the Lone Wolves in Glasgow, I had, you know, I was like I was doing different session jobs and and stuff and. Um, 
Nico from the Velvet Underground was touring, and I drummed with Nico. What? In, yeah, in Scotland. For uh, a tour or for like a yeah, it was like three or four gigs, and um, and she. It was weird because after that, it was after that that I went to the U.S. and yeah. I was working at the robots. <laughs> she used to not be allowed in, you know, which Aww. is such a weird thing. But she yeah. said to me one of the the greatest uh, things that I heard as a young man that I was I was really I was fucking crazy when I was eighteen. I mean, fucking crazy, but I could play, and. I would speed up like all crazy drummers, but I could play. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I'd make the bass player mad and he'd come over and kick the drum kit and all that. But, it, um, but uh, Nico said to me in a dressing room in a club called Night Moves in Glasgow, she said, you remind me of Iggy. You will die soon. <laughs> and what I think is so fucking great is that Iggy's the only fucking one left standing. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking Bowie's gone, Lou Reed's gone, Nico's well fucking well gone. gone. Everybody's fucking gone, and Iggy is in Florida doing yoga or some shit. I don't know. Yep. It's fucking yeah. unbelievable. If you'd have said to anybody, <laughs> Iggy's the one that's going to be the last man standing, they just you're fucking out of your mind. <laughs> Um, but but I, if you imagine as an 18 year old Scottish kid hearing that from Nico, oh, you, know, yeah. you remind me of Iggy, you will be dead. So. Did it chill you to the bone? No, no, I took it as a great compliment. <laughs> I, I still do. I would too. Yeah. But it's funny, Iggy's another guy who was a drummer, mm. and then if anyone had kind of a stand up comic personality to. Right, yeah. I mean, the, the, the idea of it, you know, look, I got it wrong sometimes. There was a time in Glasgow I was doing stand up. Round about the punk time when a, a, a heckler guy rushed the stage and I fucking, you know, I hit him and knocked him out and they had to call an ambulance and it, there was blood and shit around him. And I learned then that it, you know, violence and comedy do not mix in the same way as music <laughs> and violence at all. It's very difficult to win the yeah. audience back yeah. when you've, you know, knocked a tooth out. Did it's, you have to continue the set? No! I had to be fucking his friends were there they had to fucking sneak me out the kitchen door it was always oh, a fucking mess but but now of course it becomes that was at the rock garden of all places it it becomes a thing of legend at the time you don't think of it I remember drinking with uh, hey son is the new dog here but what happened is that that same event happened in the rock garden and it becomes a place which is you know that's where I joined the dream boys that's where I drank the strummer and uh, Paul Simonin were there one night and we got drunk in that bar where you where all of this shit happened where you you know you meet Nico and 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 all of that and at the time it doesn't feel like anything yeah it just feels like your life you know it just feels like a thing and then it's only years later I hope everyone who gets old gets this feeling of, my God, that was fucking amazing. Well, I think that's the thing. It's like yeah. you obviously in, in comedy and in, in, in fame became a whole other thing, but you had an incredible life prior to your life actually starting. Like in, in music, you've had the life that most musicians would dream of. Right. It, 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 I think because I never stopped, I never really stopped being what I started out being, you know, that... You know, when we said at the beginning that punk was wasn't just music. It was a it was a it, 
it was kind of it was a fashion it was a philosophy it was a cultural and, shift completely. right i mean yeah. you know malcolm was as much part of punk rock as you know sid and malcolm didn't play fucking anything arguably fucking sid never played anything <laughs> either but the but the 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 whole thing it wasn't just about that it wasn't just and and when it's funny that you know, I became quite friendly with Lars Friedrichsen. Yeah, and he's a former guest on the show, one right. friend. Love yeah, no, I love Lars, and 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 Lars, uh, you know, when I went to see Rancid, um, oh my god, in LA somewhere, and and saying, you know, you 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 haven't let it go. He it was almost like being, you know, endorsed by saying, no, it's okay, man. You know, you haven't you haven't done anything wrong. You're still part of it. It's funny because he has that, I don't know if there's a wrestler named CM Punk mm -hmm. and Lars is very much a part of his life. And in CM right. Punk's documentary, he kind of talks about Lars doing the same thing for him. Yeah, it just, just kind of, you know, allowing you back in. Yeah. You know, saying, no, you you didn't do it other than continue to, because there was no fucking template for it. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like you could say, all right, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get into punk and then I'm going to be a stand-up comedian and then I'm going to do fucking sitcom in America. And I'll, you, there's no, it's not like, it's not like there's a career path. No. So what it became was, the, the, it became more about recognizing, I think, in yourself that the spirit of annihilation, uh, the spirit of anarchy, the spirit of danger that was in that early time. Dave Itzkoff from the New York Times interviewed me once in New York, he's, and, and he said, when I watch your monologue on the late night show, I get a bit nervous because I don't know what you're going to say. And I said, that's good because I don't know what I'm going to say either. <laughs> and the nervousness is what it is. Look, see if you distill it right down to that first fucking single, right? In neat, neat, neat. Well, you hear the bass line and the bass line is the music, but you also hear that fucking, whatever that fucking rattle is, a teacup or a glass or a fucking window or something, that's also part of the deal. Yeah. And so if... If I, if I can get through this entire mortal experience with a vestige of that kind of spirit, then it's not just about music, not just about fucking, you know, E flat minor or fucking, you know, it's reminiscent of, fuck all that. It was more, it's more about are you still messing it up a little bit? Because what fucking happens is if you don't have punk, you have Trump. Mm -hmm. That's what happens. That, the, the logical extrapolation of no fucking rebellion is fear and cargo shorts. Fuck those assholes. <laughs> Well, I cannot think of a better way to end this. <laughs> this has been amazing. Tomas, thank you. Craig, thank you. This has been thank so you, much fun, man. man. 
Thank you, Craig, for coming on the show. And thank you again, Tomas, for making that happen. Um, and as you can tell, there's lots of room for a part two there. Uh, Craig said he'd be down to do one at some point in the future. We we talked for like a, a while afterwards, and we got into like a lot of other stuff on this thing too. Um, some great stories about you know Basquiat and, and Warhol and the Clash. My gosh, this guy. Whew. It's like, uh, this is going to be a great footnotes coming out of this. Uh, that podcast I mentioned off the top, Turn Out of Punk Footnotes, this will be a fertile one for us to kind of dissect this week. So anyway, thank you everyone for listening to the show. Uh, that was this week's show. Next week on the show, I think this is our first video game character we've ever had. I don't know. Was anyone else like a playable character in a video game? Jeff Rowley is on the show. Like my wife wears his sneakers. Like this is a, this is a big guest for the show. That is next week on the program. We're going to get into tons of stuff. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, but yeah, until that point, I will see you next week. Thank you everyone for listening. Once again, if you would like to, uh, support the show, subscribe, rate, or write a review on iTunes for it. Tell your friends about it. Uh, and, uh, go to facebook.com, turn it a punk, Tumblr, turn it a punk. Me on social media, at Left for Damien. And that's it. I will see you next week. Go out there and make your own culture, because anyone can do this shit. You know, it's really easy. And uh, thank you. Thank you for listening, and thank you for supporting the show. Bye.